0: This is the Sermon Podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, if you, again, if you're new here, I know we've had a lot of of new faces kind of running through with us throughout the course of the last several months. And so if you're new and we haven't met yet, my name's Adam and um, I'm I'm on staff here at the church, and I get to do most of the teaching and preaching, and that's the case this morning. So we're glad you're, you're with us. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we've been pretty slowly uh, and methodically working through a section of the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Exodus. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, I'd encourage you to open that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, it's a short passage today, uh, but... Uh, this, this passage and what we've been working through slowly over the course of a, a number of, of months now, actually, is common territory for, for most people, maybe not all people, but uh, if you've been a little bit around Christianity in the Bible, you've probably heard of uh, what is commonly uh, tagged as the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we've been taking those uh, one by one, uh, you know, for better or worse, that's what that's what I chose to do, and I hope I, I've enjoyed the time that to to spend. Uh, you know, thinking and reflecting on on each of the commands. Um, maybe you're ready for them to be over, but this is the final one. We're we're looking at the tenth and final one, and then just to give you kind of a roadmap for for the coming weeks. Uh, the plan, and if you're new to our church, you should know this about us: the plan is to actually keep working through the Book of Exodus. Uh, it's it's kind of our practice to just go through books of the Bible for the most part. Well, we make exception to that. Sometimes we'll do topical stuff or just sections of a book. But we're going to, I want to finish this book. And if you've read the latter half of the book of Exodus, uh, well, kudos for that first off. Um, but it's, it can be, kind of be tedious. Um, what, what actually happens in the, the and I don't want to give all, all the coming weeks ahead, but it's, it's an actually an expansion on the moral law of God and also the establishment of how God will be with his people. And all that to say is we will not be going as slowly uh, through these chapters as we have been through the Ten Commandments. So my plan, uh, there's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. We're at, we're at chapter 20 right now. We're going to get through 20 chapters of Exodus uh, by September-ish. So um, that's the plan. I've kind of got a, a layout for it. I hope, I hope you'll, you'll find that, that helpful. Well, let me, let me go ahead and read uh, today's passage for us. Uh, it's from Exodus chapter 20 verse 17. And then I'm also going to read another passage uh, from the New Testament, which I've been doing in most of the sermons. And the New Testament passage just has a, a lot to it, and I'm not actually going to comment much on it, but I, but I read it because I think it um, it is a nice addition to this commandment, and I would encourage you to spend time reflecting on it on your own. So the, the New Testament passage will be from Romans chapter 7. So, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, this is the 10th and final word in the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And then Romans chapter 7. Beginning in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are we're gathered here this morning uh, primarily to meet with you. Uh, we we need to hear from you this morning, not from a man just talking about you. And so I pray now that you, uh, Holy Spirit, would come and you would fall upon hearts and that you would open eyes and unstop ears so that we could hear your voice speaking to us this morning through the preaching of your word and help us to respond to your voice and to feel your embrace in it. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, There are very few books uh, that have been written in the past, let's say, 20 years, uh, modern books that I would call significant like really meaningful books. Uh, but one of those books, at least for me, and this is obviously personal opinion, meaningful and significant to me, one of those books uh, that I've read uh, before and I, and I go back to from time to time, it was written in 2009. Uh, it's called Desiring the Kingdom. Uh, subtitle is Worship, Worldview, and Cultural Formation. Um, it's, it's a bit of an academic work, um, but, but all of you are fully capable of reading it. But Desiring the Kingdom by James K.A. Smith was a book that I read uh, over 10 years ago, and I, and I go back to from time and time again. And I, I picked it back up this week, took it off the shelf, and just read through a little section of it. And, and in the introduction, uh, this may be what the, the book is most uh, perhaps popular for. In the introduction of the book, uh, the author, he walks us through um, how our culture is forming and shaping our desires. Um, like that's, that's what the culture does. And, and in the introduction, he does this incredibly insightful and crafty uh, walkthrough of the liturgy. That's the language of, of being formed by something, the liturgy of a local mall. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna be able to read the whole thing. It's several pages in length, but I wanted to give you just a taste of it. Maybe it'll entice you to read the book. Uh, here's, here's what he talks about. So you, you, he's walking through both kind of the, the, the image of a mall, you know, the, the architecture of a mall, what going to the mall means to us. And here's, here's one of the little sections he comments on. He says, as we pause to reflect on some of the icons on the outside of one of the chapels, he uses religious language, we are invited to consider what's happening within the chapel invited to enter into the act of worship more properly invited to taste and see upon entering we are greeted by a welcoming acolyte who offers to shepherd us through the experience but also has the wisdom to allow us to explore on our own terms he's talking about that little kiosk in the middle right you go there and it's going to guide you to where you need to go Sometimes we enter cautiously, curiously, tentatively, making our way through this labyrinth within the labyrinth, having a vague sense of need, but unsure of how it will be fulfilled. And so we are open to surprise to that moment when the spirit leads us to an experience we couldn't have anticipated. Having a sense of our need, we come looking, not sure what for, but expecting that knowing that what we need must be in here. And then we hit upon it. Coming through the racks, we find that experience and offering that will provide fulfillment. At other times our worship is intentional, directed, and resolute. We have come prepared for just this moment, knowing exactly why we're here, in search of exactly what we need. What what Smith is is really kind of tapping into is, is the desire of our hearts and how our culture is shaping those things and how shopping in a local American suburban mall um, is an act of you trying to have desire in your heart fulfilled. Um, The the, the most fundamental thing about you as a human being is that you have desire. And, And everything about your desires is spiritual in nature. And what I mean by spiritual in nature is that your desires leads you into yourself to like explore what it is I want and then it leads you beyond yourself because you can't find it within yourself. Um, The 10th commandment um, addresses us all at the desire level. Uh, If you've been with us through this, this series, all the other nine primarily address outward behavior, and then you'll know it, ob- it always gets into us at the desire level, right, our motive level. But this one in particular starts at the desire level. This one in particular is hard to observe. This one in particular is so subtle and deadly in nature that God found it appropriate to put it in the top 10? The desire piece. Why would God address our hearts at the desire level? Um, there's a, there's a, a mythical East, East, Middle Eastern folklore tale of a, of a man named Nasruddin, I think I'm pronouncing that right, and the, the essence of the fol- folklore is this, that a man named Nasruddin was outside of his home, scurrying, looking, uh, locked out of his home, looking for the key that he had lost, and he's he's, he's shuffling around, he's he's looking everywhere, and f- his neighbor comes to him, and he says, his, his neighbor says, you know, what are you doing? Can, can I help you? And he says, yeah, I've lost my key, and so the neighbor, you know, gets down on, on all fours, and he's s- scrambling around, helping him find his key, and finally, uh Nasrudin goes over to the street light and he, and he starts looking over the, there, and the neighbor says, "Why are you lo- is that where you lost your key over in the street light?" And he says, "No, I didn't lose my key there." He says, "Well do you know where you lost your key?" He says, "Yeah, I lost my key inside my house." And the neighbor says, "Well why are you looking over here at the street light?" And Nasruddin says, "Well, because the light is better over here." See, that, that little folklore gets to the heart of the way you and I operate through our lives. If you sense a restless stirring in your heart, maybe even one that that, that the early church, the African church father, St. Augustine, would say that your hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, you're looking in all the wrong places. You're looking in the light when God is actually, through this command, inviting you to go inside the locked, dark house of your desire, and in there, you will find the key to fulfilling this command. I wanna take kind of a medical approach. Uh, if you've been around our church, you'll know I always, I, I just use points. It's easy for me to, to preach and easy for you to follow along. So we're gonna use kind of a medical approach to this, uh, to my points today. First, we're gonna look at diagnosing the symptoms and then we're gonna look at discovering the cure. So let's let's look at this tricky Desire piece called covetousness and the diagnosis of it. How do we, how do we see it in our lives? Where do we feel it? Uh, what does it look like? Again, because this is at the heart and motive level, it's very hard and very subtle for us. And the reason I, I, I kind of went the medical route on this is because here's why um, I think God put it in, in the top ten. Like there were there are a lot of desires. Uh, passions that God could have put in the Ten Commandments, but he chose this one, and here's why. Um, I think covetousness is is cancerous, and not like, um, you know, like a particular location of cancer, like cancer that's in your lymph nodes, like cancer that will spread all over your life if it goes unaddressed. This is, this is not, um, you know, just one spot of your life where you can kind of just carve it out and be done with it covetousness is is cancer of the worst kind and it will it will it will spoil your whole life if you, if you can't if you don't get a, a handle on what's going on here and and the reason why is because the well of desire inside of you is infinitely deep and at the bottom of that well is this this longing for satisfaction. I mean, that's what this command is about. Will you be satisfied with your life? This commandment is after you. God is, his primary interest in giving you this command is so that you would love the life that God gave you, not somebody else's. And so the forms of, of this, um, you know, kind of twin cousins to this, uh, are are things like envy, and envy is 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 simply you know I want what you have, right? And 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 envy of the worst kind. You've heard it said like you're green with envy. It's because it like makes you nauseous. Like when you look at someone's life and you want what they have so bad that it makes you sick. And and wanting what someone has could could take you know the form of possessions, like I'm. Not, it does that, like wanting a you know a better make and model on the vehicle, or wanting more square footage, or wanting to be in the right zip code, or wanting to just be in a higher tax bracket. You know, it it could take those forms, and I'm I'm sure it does in our lives, but but more often than not, um, I think. Envy of the worst kind, covet, covetousness of the cancerous type is when you look at someone's relationships. You know, when you, when you look at the quality of someone else's marriage. I mean, how insightful, right, of God to say very clearly, don't want your neighbor's wife. Like to have that thought, traffic through your mind that what would it be like to be married to somebody else? Um, and, and you think about this command and who this was given to originally. This was given to people who you know, had no possessions at the time, little to no possessions. These are, these are ex-slaves, you know, 90 days prior lived in Egypt, fled in a hurry. They're, you know, they're just getting their feet under them they're just figuring out their life, and God says, "Don't covet." Like, owe oh, the insight to the human heart, right? Like, what a window into us! Like, even people that don't have anything um, could want, could want, you know, look at look at their neighbor who has nothing and want that. You know, a, a degree above envy would be like jealousy. Jealousy of, of the resentful kind. Because envy says, I want what you have. What jealousy says is I don't want you to have what you have. Right? It's like it's it kind of it just kind of turns up the heat a little bit. Like I, I don't even I don't even like looking at what you have. And so here, here's here's my assessment of what's going on when we covet in our hearts. Um, We, at at the core of our being, are afraid that God has left us. We are afraid that God has abandoned us and left us as orphans to figure out life on our own. Because here's what happens. When life is not the way you think it should be or could be, what you are saying is, God, you have not given me what I deserve. And so when, when illness strikes, when a grim diagnosis is given, we say, why? You know, when, 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 when singleness, like unwanted singleness, has just gripped your heart in such a way that it says, why can't I have love like that with someone else? or maybe when you're, you know, you're just all your friends are having kids just, you know, off the charts, kids everywhere and you've got to go in after another month of infertility and watch them play with their kids. Your heart is grieved. It aches. It's painful. Maybe it's it's poverty. Maybe you're maybe you're unemployed right now. Like you just, you know, Irony of all ironies, everyone's hiring, but you can't find a job. Uh, or maybe maybe it's not unemployed. Maybe for some of you, it's just being underemployed. Like, you know, you took on all that crushing college debt. You did what you were supposed to do. You got the degree you were supposed to get, and you just can't find significant work in the field. And it's it's just a crushing blow to your heart. And you begin to ask, God, where are you? Have you left me? Am I an orphan? Have I no father who cares for me? That's what the coveting heart does. And so the symptoms that you ought to be looking for in your life are things like anger and rage, um, bitterness and fear and jealousy of the worst stripe. Like that—that's what's kind of f- flowing through the bloodstream, and 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 here's here's you know, the Bible gives many examples, but the premier example of the coveting heart was humanity in the garden, and so Eve, you know, she sees something she cannot have, and she wants it, and she wants it to the point where, um, she. You know, she will plunge herself um, into a strained relationship with God to have what she thinks God is withholding from her. And, And what is it that the enemy, the father of lies, whispers into her ear? It's, you know, surely God won't do what he said. And the subtext of the lie and the lie that Eve was believing was that God was withholding something good from her life. Why would you not give me what I want and, and and beginning in that moment what God was doing as he pursued people who had aching hearts who wanted more out of their life what he was doing was showing them that he was the thing that they were made to want for so that's that's kind of the diagnosis of of the symptoms a little bit like so if you're if you're kind of tracking with me, you're streaming, you see things in your life that you want that you don't have. And it's, it's crushing. Um, so, what's the cure? What's the, what's the discovery of the cure? Uh, there's a new movie out right now on Disney Plus. I know all you young parents have Disney Plus, all you old parents, you're missing out on so much right now. There's so much good TV right now. Uh, and uh, the new movie on Disney Plus is, is called Luca. And it's about, uh, you know, these two young, I think, teenage boys uh, who are sea creatures, uh, live under the sea. And when they come out of the sea, they become humans. And super well done. It's a Pixar deal, and it's just filled with, you know, quote upon quote upon quote. But towards the beginning of the movie, um, you know, the, the mom is, is um, she's warning her son Luca about the dangers of going up above and becoming a human and experiencing the life filled with, uh, you know, I think it's in, set in Italy. so like gelato and Vespas and Italian food. And um, and she's warning the child uh, of all those dangers. And she says this, uh, she says this to her son. She says, the world's a very dangerous place. And if I have to, I will send you to the bottom of the ocean to keep you safe. I will do that. And what she's after there is, is what I think... Y- many of you, maybe not all, that's a a bit broad brush uh, to paint with, but many of you think God is like this. You think that God just doesn't really want you to enjoy your life. You think uh, that what faithful living to God means is that you will be miserable and that you will suffer and that life will be difficult and challenging and that somehow you've got to just show that you're going to stay faithful no matter how hard it gets. And much like the mom in Luca, you think that God just kind of wants you to keep you down at the bottom of the ocean, to keep you humble, make sure you don't you're not enjoying your life too much, and so He withholds things from you. And I want to suggest this morning. And if you hear nothing, you you know if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this: that God is nothing like that. In fact, what I want to suggest this morning is that God thinks your desires are too small. That God thinks that your longings and wantings are actually not big enough. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis in his sermon, uh, The Weight of Glory, it's recorded in a book. Um, He he says, we are half-hearted creatures. We dabble around, and I'm paraphrasing here, we dabble around in ambition and sex and drink uh, when God is offering us infinite, eternal joy. It's like a kid who goes out and plays in the slums with mud, right? When God is offering us a, a vacation on the beach. And so the, 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 the cure um, for cov- the coveting heart, that ha- the, the heart that says, I don't love my life, the heart that says, I want someone else's life, the cure is this. It's to know how little you deserve and to know how much you're desired. To know how little you deserve. And here's what this sounds like to some of you because I know you all have been around the church. Here's what this sounds like. Well, you know what I, I deserve? I deserve the wrath of God and judgment and curse and, and, and hell. And, and that, that may very well be true. And that's not what I'm trying to say at this point because that's the, that's the miserable God that you think is after you, Right? What I'm saying is not like, look how little you deserve, but but really, I want you to see how much you have been given. I'm, you know, I've let you know this. I'm approaching middle age here very quick, and I don't know when this happened to me, uh, but I but I bought into the hype of of uh, fish oils, right? Taking taking omega threes. I take them as much as possible. I don't know why I take them. They tell me to take them. Rick takes them apparently. I don't know. But, but fish oils, right? It's kind of like that. Um, you just, you take them because you know they're good for you and you don't even know what they're doing. Here's, you know what the fish oil of the spiritual life is? It's gratitude. And I don't mean like cliche pre-dinner prayer, thank you God for this food and this day. Like that's, that's part of it but I mean like being grateful for your life. Like looking at um, the pain of your singleness and finding gratitude that God has loved you. Um, Like looking at friendships of people who have been close to you in your worst of times and being grateful that God has given you friends like that like being grateful that although you know your your bank account by no means is padded but like ends are meeting and and you are taken care of and being grateful for that that in my opinion that will that will do something to you like i believe these Omega-3s are doing something to me. Like that, will, that will get inside of you when you are grateful for your life, the life that God has given you. But, the, but maybe the, the, the more curing, if, that, if that's such a thing, my nurse wife will medically correct me later, but like, the more curing part of this is not just to know how little you deserve and how much you've been given, but to know how much you are desired. Because here's another thing that I think some of you have been taught about God that I'd like to suggest otherwise. Some of you have been taught that God is a passionless, stoic being. That he's like this divine chess player who has no emotion, no passion, no desire. The God of the Bible is not like that. He is the true and living God and his desire runs wild for his people. If I could be so bold, even just to interchange some language of the New Testament, if you you want to want God more, like if you want to want your life that God has given you more, you need to believe this because some of you think you just need to just like muster that up. My gosh, why can't I just love my life more? Why can't I just be happy for the things God has given me? What's wrong with me? Here's what needs to wash over you today, and it is this that we want Him because He first wanted us. The good news of Christianity is that not that it's not that you somehow come put together for God with these high desires for loving him with all of your life and being this amazing person who's just totally content. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came for people who do not desire God. Jesus Christ came for people who hate their life. Jesus Christ came for people that are full of, of rage and fury and resentment and bitterness towards their circumstances. He came for people like that. And um, the, the best part about the gospel is that the thing God wants most from you out of this is honesty about it. And because God in his infinite and divine wisdom was under no obligation to love you, but loved you anyway, not just in spite of you, but because of you, you can be honest with him. He's working at the motive level, not your behavior level. Because here's, and here's why you can know it's entirely safe because that sounds really risky. Like Adam, if, if this God is the one true and living God, the God you're telling me about this morning, if that's true, how can I know he won't change his mind about me? How can I know that if I'm honest about the darkest feelings that I hide in my heart about how I hate my life, how can I know he's not gonna be two-faced with me? Here's how you know. He sent his one and only son to live the life you could not live for you. Do you know that Jesus Christ absolutely loved his life and yet he faced the same temptation as you to hate it, to be contempt about it, to covet others' lives? And do you know one of the prime examples we find is in the very one of the very first acts of ministry after Jesus' baptism, in fact, the very first thing he did after he was baptized was he went into the wilderness and for 40 days he fasted. Um, and and we're talking a pure fast. We're not talking like a social media fast, friends. Like he, At the end of this 40 days, he would have been a, a ravenous, raging, hungry human. He would have, been, I mean, he, he, he faced all of the temptations of your life to the highest degree. And then the enemy comes in and he says, you know what? Don't you want a different life? You could have a life of power. You could have a very powerful life, Jesus. Turn these stones into bread, eat them. I I like to imagine it was sourdough, right? Like who doesn't want to eat a, a, a loaf of sourdough after 40 days of fasting? And Jesus looked at that life and he said, I love my life more than that life. And and the enemy says, okay, well, throw yourself off of this temple and all the angels will come rescue you. You will be so prestigious. You will be famous, right? Everyone will love you. And Jesus said, no, I love my life more than that life. And then the final attempt from the enemy was, listen, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the possessions, all the things right? Like you will have a fully, this is modern speak, but like just so you can grasp with it. You will have a fully funded 401k. You will have the newest model vehicles. You will have the best house in the best neighborhood with the best wife and the best kids. I'll give it all to you. And Jesus said, no, I love my life more than that life. And here's the thing, friends. He loved his life so much that he was willing to give it up. He loved his life so much that he was willing to suffer an atrocious, cruel, shameful death on a cross for people who hate their lives, like you and like me. And he did it in our place so that we could know that anyone, and and hear me on this, friends, because I don't know everyone here, anyone, no matter how much You have despised the life that God has unfolded before you. Anyone who would fall on the work of Jesus Christ could know they're safe. And and the the heart of this command, and and here's here's really where I want to get to an invitation for you to respond. The heart of this command invites you to share your deepest, darkest desires with God. What is it that you want that you don't have? And if you'll be honest with God about that, he will meet you there. He will meet you in the aches of your desire, the fueling rage, the despair, the sadness, the betrayal, the things that only God can handle perfectly. Because if you're like me, and I know you are, you're like Nasrudin, who wants to look under the streetlight for God, when really you need to go into that locked house where the key actually is. And so the invitation, friends, is for you to go there with your despairing covetousness. What is it that you want that you don't have? Do you, do you sounds like that inside. Let me close with this. Just imagine with me. We don't use much imagination But can you imagine, and I believe this is true, that God is so eternally infinite and wise and able that he has handcrafted, uniquely customized a life story for every single one of his creatures. And not only has he uniquely customized your life story, but it is the best life story for you to experience his love. Now, this is beyond my mental capacity. I don't know how God is like this, but I believe he is like this. He loves you so much that he would write a painful story in order for you to experience the most wholesome love that you've ever experienced before. And you get to begin to experience it now, but the life of eternal living with Christ is the experience of your story being complete, of love being fulfilled, of the happily ever after that all of us are so deeply, desperately aching for. Jesus Christ says this, and this is the offer for you today. I came that they might have life and that they might have life abundantly. Do you love your life? Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Father, our hearts sometimes feel orphaned. They feel alone and lost in the world. We're all doing our best to be good, responsible adults and parents in the world. We're trying to be financially responsible and generous and we're just trying to be the people we think you want us to be. But Lord, there's still an ache inside of all of us that our lives are not what, what we thought they should be or could be. And Lord, I pray for our church that you would help us to feel the pain of that, that we would know that, that, that all that we long for is not found in this world, in its possessions, in its positions that it offers us, but they are all summarized and found in you and in the person and work of your son, Jesus. Would you help us, Lord, even if it's just a little, to be honest about the pain and the ache of our desires and where they're not being fulfilled? And would you father us? Would you help us to feel, um, feel ourselves at the desire level? and then know that you're right there with us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Sermon Podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives.